not ready. Oh, you're not ready. <laughs> Definitely not ready. I don't know know how we're going to do this. You know, I have this vision of doing it like Joe Rogan does, but we'll never be as cool as they are. Hey, everyone. Welcome to uh, um, Direct Connect. This is another new series that we're doing here at Archer where we're... uh, I'm going to just do a kind of like a fireside chat with a bunch of us. Uh, we'll have different people coming in and out. Uh, uh, today, I have myself, Stacey Bressler uh, from Archer Energy Solutions. Uh, you know, I come from uh, years ago doing audits uh, for uh, WEC and uh, working in the utility space at Pacific Core, done a considerable amount of silly stuff all over the place. So um, we also have Leonard uh, Chamberlain uh, with us. Uh, hey, Leonard. Cheers. And yeah, Leonard's been around forever. Um, he's claims of fames are down into the energy world um, and uh, spending some time with our great friends at FERC. Uh, um, not that he speaks for the commissioners ever. I never have, never will. There you go. And we also got uh, Steve Parker on the line with us today. Uh, Steve is our uh, um, masterful uh, poet, uh, IQ expert. Um, he knows things. Hello, Steve. Something I just wonder all the time is when when is the big one coming for North America? When are we going to have our Stuxnet? It's not it's not if we are; it's when and and what what are we going to do? Are we are we ready? Um, do we have things in place now that we would be able to you know withstand a, a Stuxnet type of attack? Uh, something unique, zero day that we have no clue that they're in in our systems doing stuff. I don't know. Go secure. All right, now we can talk about that. <laughs> I, I I think the answer to that, Stacy, is of course we're not ready. Um, you're almost almost by definition you're not ready because if you were ready, you probably wouldn't experience the attack, and you never knew that you had avoided something that's that's happening. So, um, if you don't see it coming, then you can't prepare for it. Right. So by definition. You're not, uh, you're not going to be ready for what you can't anticipate. Well, you know, we do do a lot of, uh, a lot of things as an industry. It's just, is it enough? Are, are we really coordinating? I mean, we have a grid sec, uh, con, uh, we have grid X, um, we're doing stuff, but is that stuff really preparing us for the big one? Um, I think, complacency happens. I, I think uh, we go through the motions often, and I think that's where we're at right now. Yeah, well, I mean, bear in mind with with compliance, and we've talked about this. You've got you've got the high and the medium impact facilities, which are, you know, reasonably well protected. <clears throat> um, even even just accounting for the SIP standards, there's some reasonable measures of protection there. But low impact is another story, and then everything else that's not covered by NERC SIP theoretically at least has no protections. I mean, the reality is there are some there, but um, in most cases, the protections are considerably less than even the low impact level. And so there's probably a lot of things that are uh, exposed and ready to be plucked. Yeah, and I, I think it's inevitable that you're gonna have something that's gonna be plucked, something that's gonna hit, but but how do you recover? Are, are we ready to recover? You know, you often hear from, and a number of the old timers in operations is that you know, we can come back from anything because that's what we do best in this industry. 
Um, and I think to some extent it's, it's true, but um, I mean, the reliance on technology has got so much bigger over the last decade, over the last 20 years. Um, I, I wonder if, you know, all that telemetry that we're gathering and need to make decisions, whether we have people in place now in operations that uh, know how to recover without that technology. I was thinking of you, Leonard, um, you went through, you know, Katrina uh, back in the day. So, you know, I mean, that's been a long time now, right? And uh, that was devastating. Yep. Um, what was that? 2005. So over 16 years now. Yeah. Yeah. 16 and a half. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, kind of not an unprecedented event for New Orleans to get hit by a hurricane and flood the city, but for, um, you know, the infrastructure to be completely underwater, the <clears throat> fairly modern communications at the time, uh, even though largely on leased infrastructure being told by uh, the telecom company, hey, we may never restore these circuits. You know, a lot of them were old uh, 56K dial up, some four wire analog, um, just the, the areas that were hit we had to come up with new solutions. So it was, yeah, it was recovery, but it was also um, figure out a way to communicate to substations that had never been done before, at least by um, a uh, large utility in the greater New Orleans metropolitan area. Um, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, as far as the level of expertise, um, maybe not level of expertise, not the right word there. Um, you know, you keep referring to, to old timers. I mean, what I observed was, you know, young, old, and everywhere in between, everybody was willing to jump in and try to brainstorm the best way to uh, get the system back up and running as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. I, I think experience, you think about experience, right? Uh, I think you're right. Uh, you know, that uh, skills thing isn't really what's in play. I think uh, we have incredibly talented people. Uh, throughout our uh, um, utility space, and, and and it's pretty amazing what they can and can't, what they can do and achieve. Um, but that experience of a big, master, huge event like that, um, some of that that skills and those that knowledge of you know the lessons learned from there are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't know uh, from a cyber perspective, what's the last big cyber experience that we've we've experienced is, is a ransomware situation recently. Right. But you know, that was really not targeting a, a, an actual takedown. That was a threat of a takedown. Um, I think the last big one was probably the, you know, what started us off, um, you know, with the SIP standards, uh, the urgent action standards back in the day, you know, is that Northeastern blackout. Um, what year was that? 2003? Right. 2003. Yeah. August, yep. 2003. Yeah. So I uh, think about what, what Larry it wasn't even said. a cyber attack. <laughs> well, so, oh, go ahead, Steve. so, so, so they There's say, right. People. So they say, get the, it was a contributor story. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a hacker on a grassy knoll in, uh, in Cleveland somewhere. Right. But you, you know, you said something Leonard about, uh, that kind of struck me about, the circuits that would never, never come back up. And so what's the cyber equivalent of that? I mean, are we doing things today 
like using the internet for, I don't know, maybe market functions or something, or the things that we're doing that could potentially could go away in a cyber attack where we would say, we cannot bring that function back or we cannot bring it back for some extended period of time because we're still in an active the active situation with a, with an attacker. Uh, how would we handle that? Hmm. Um, Got to come up with an alternative, right? Um, presumably, obviously, we still need the function, the market function. Uh, and if the, the internet or the, whatever the current primary path is, uh, look at alternatives. I, I highly recommend <laughs> figuring out the problem before you're in the middle of the disaster. <laughs> That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. That's the point. Are we testing the right stuff? I mean, um, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in a grid X, but uh, you know, I don't know what the, the scenarios are. Are they realistic to current times? Or are we still replaying uh, um, things that, you know, that we know about? Um, have we challenged ourselves enough? Um, Here's uh, a real world scenario. Go try to hmm. buy guns in the middle of a global pandemic and see how much uh, hmm. ammo you can find to go with them. Yeah, try, try, try to buy gasoline or propane in the middle of a 10-day outage due to the storm. Uh, I lived through that this this past year with the the ice storm out here in the Northwest. Uh, we were fortunate we were able to do it, but that's, that's one of those things that uh, you, know, you don't think about. You know, I have a generator. Can you get fuel? But I don't know. You, certainly, you can't plan for everything, right? No, no, you can. And, and I think, you know. But that doesn't mean to plan original, for nothing. No. Right. You're, you're right. The, do we do we need to come fully back? You know, Stacey, to your point, in, if something big happens, maybe it will be troublesome getting it back. And a lot of the control systems and the, the information systems we use, they allow us to operate the grid at closer to the edge. Um, if we had to go into a manual mode type operation, maybe we wouldn't be able to have the, the margins. And so do we operate the grid differently? I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but maybe you don't get power 24 hours a day. Maybe we go into a period of time where we're more like a third world country where the power's on eight, 12 hours a day or 18 hours a day or every other Thursday or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, are we able to operate in a degraded mode that will allow a, a civilization to survive? while we figure the rest of it out or do, or do we need to get back to, you know, full operation of the grid in seven days or, or toast? I don't know. I don't really answer that. 12 that hours of power a day. I mean, isn't that describing the green new deal there, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, we've had, we've had a rough year. I, I'm in a rural area and we're on a, a circuit with a lot of trees. And so we have quite frequent outages here. Um, usually not for long durations, although, 232 hours during the ice storm last February, um, which happened to coincide with the Texas event. So we didn't get any sympathy, unfortunately, out here in Oregon. Uh, Texas got all the attention. So we were like the uh, the middle child or something uh, during that one. You know, what's interesting to me, though, is that, um, you know, we have these natural disasters and we tend to be able to recover from them pretty well. Um, but we also had something pretty unique recently over the last two years is we had this pandemic. Um, we had to figure out how to operate, um, how we're going to deal with that to some extent. I, I think that opened up a few eyes um, that, you know, some of this remote technology is is going to be dependent. We're going to be depending on it in, in a certain circumstances. And is that going to be available when we need it? Um, you know, it, it definitely helped in, our, in, the, in the case of where we needed to do 
you know, remote work and even operators were able to do some remote work uh, through these, you know, technologies that we, we've been playing around, but really put in force during, during these times. But, but that's a new consideration. Um, it might become more normal to be operating, you know, remote and have your staff all over the place. But what if that uh, backbone, the internet backbone has gone? What if, what if you can't get Cisco VPN to work anymore because Cisco has been compromised? Um, I don't know. Or what if it's non-compliant with SIP to let your system operators run the grid from their living room? <clears throat> we we hope we can have right. those arguments. With the, did with did the we not talk about security versus uh, compliance and and all that? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Stacy, you know, you you you, I'm sure you remember conversations we had back in the day with the late great Mike Asante about uh, you know I remember him very specifically telling us as auditors he said and I, and I roughly quote. He said, I can't go up to Capitol Hill and tell senators that someone can operate the power grid from their living room. And we had the conversation on remote access and what was permissible and what and what was not. And, you know, FERC weighed in on that with respect to, uh, I believe it was Progress Energy, put in a request for interpretation regarding that exact scenario using laptops as, uh, you know, emergency, uh, emergency access. If they had to evacuate a control center, they could take the laptops and Go down to Starbucks and, and get back in and, and operate if they needed to, and and I think that I think in a you know we saw it with COVID. FERC and NERC were very lenient. They they actually published uh, a position and said, hey, if you cannot do something compliance wise due to COVID, talk to us about it, and and they they can exercise enforcement discretion. And I would expect that they would do that in that sort of a situation, right? Reliability, getting the power back on, is always going to be more important than than compliance. Um, but it's still a consideration, is it not? It is. I think about what you just said about back in the day when Mike Asante was talking to us about that. Um, he was like, wow, how horrible would that be if somebody was doing that? That's just a bad idea. That's a bad security position. But I wonder if it's so bad anymore. I mean, we got some very strong technologies out there. Is it bad to be operating uh, an operator working from a, a remote location? Is that a horrible thought? Well, I, I, it's I not know. as inconceivable as it was, say, 15 years ago. Yeah. Would uh, would that require the Starbucks to be identified as the control center, Steve? Uh, it would be a, a critical coffee asset, I believe, something <laughs> of that nature. <laughs> but that speaks to the need for the standards to to be flexible, to be constantly growing and changing with technology and capabilities. And I think you know, to some extent, to uh, the way the standards has been written, um, we are doing maturation over time, but it, it, they, they're kind of painful. Uh, not to knock the NERC or anybody, because I think they do all hard work and the SDT does hard work, but it is a slow process. And I'm, I'm not sure it's keeping up with the times. And, and uh, you know, what are we going on? Multiple years talking about virtualization? Uh, maybe five years? Well, well, FERC is warm to the idea. I mean, I can remember times when we, we talk with... Uh, FERC staff who are not speaking on behalf of the commission would say, you know, no, no remote access, no anything, no external connectivity. And and now the commission has, you know, NOIs out there and they're, they have formal proceedings looking at, can we operate in the cloud? Is that something that can actually be done? So um, things that were unthinkable are no longer unthinkable and they may eventually become doable. And I think that's the, you know, that, that, those compromises uh, that we made a long time ago, uh, we gave, you know, security kind of the, it was, it was 
kind of a verboten security. We didn't feel confident in the security controls that are really available to say that, you know, we can do some of these things. So there were some sacrifices to me of um, possible security solutions in order to assure a state of compliance and, and not probably more so of assuring that the bad guys weren't going to get in and impact our, our you know, bulk electric systems. I agree, Stacey. So, I mean, I think it's partially an evolution of technology, but also evolution in the understanding of the specifics of the technology. For instance, VLANs are not a security feature. <laughs> VLANing <laughs> off your network, um, you know, although generally under the virtualization umbrella, um, you know, that's not a, a, a great security posture to have. Does it solve some segmentation issues and traffic management? Sure. But um, leaning on that as your, your access point solution for uh, SIP5 is uh, not a winning strategy, in my opinion. You think about, uh, you know, Steve and I were there for the very first audits. Uh, um, matter of fact, I think I was, uh, were you there, Steve, for the very first audit of? of I, I, was, I was the latecomer. I was on about the third or the fourth one. So I'm definitely uh, a newbie to this. So out here in the West, being from WEC, uh, it, we had the, the opportunity of going out and being the um, guinea pigs for the industry. And uh, I, I remember uh, our first time going out and, and talking to the is it was shock. It was shock and awe that we would even expect some of the simplest security things uh, in their environment. I remember one case, uh, you know, somebody telling me, you know, what do you mean? Our standard is to use McAfee for our antivirus. Why would we even try to look at something else to put on these five different machines? Um, because McAfee doesn't work on them. So we're not going to put them on there. Um, or you would see process controls on a flat network. Um, and you're going, there's no controls here. And, and that's what only we're talking 2007, 2008 timeframe. Um, and now you wouldn't dead at a utility without firewalls, without antivirus on the, the proper systems. It, it's, it's electric amazing. utilities, Stacy, electric, electric yeah. utilities. You go, go into some oh. of the other sectors. I won't, uh, I, I won't mention any other sectors, but there are some <laughs> that where you could probably still find some non-segmented networks, especially in the smaller organizations, your large, larger utilities are going to, for the most part, have that, have that figured out, but it's not universal outside of electric. And even within electric, uh, those that are not subject to NERC-SIP, some of the distribution utilities, um, there may still be a few out there that don't have the segmentation we might expect. Yeah. And I think that's my point is that you know, the compliance element played really well for the electric sector. It, it made a difference. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, it, it, you know, for years I was frustrated that maybe it wasn't making a difference. And, uh, you know, if you look back over, you know, over a 10 year period of time, it, it has moved the needle for the electric sector. Got a long ways to go still, but it has moved that needle. And, and you spoke of the distribution. Absolutely. And, you know, we got a lot of other other parts of, you know, the energy sector that still need to, to, to be looked at that could have huge impacts to our, to our, you know, way of life. I think we started off by, you know, kind of kicking tires around remember the RBAMs, but I do remember the RBAMs. Uh, those were times where we would, you know, the electric sector got into this risk-based, you know, approach to uh, determining what was in scope and what isn't in scope. And, and, uh, 
there was all kinds of games being played um, about what was in scope and what isn't. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at it today, even for organizations that are under any kind of cybersecurity regulation or operations reliability regulations, that the knowledge uh, over the multiple years about how the impact of poor security or poor controls or poor reliability uh, um, actions have on, on you know, a utility in the energy sector is, is bet more well known now. And I think, uh, you know, I think you can see that people know about what they need to do. They may not have done it yet, but I, I, I would argue that even those small utilities you could go to and they, they probably know better um, if they haven't done it. I would argue they knew better back in the day when they reverse engineered their RBAM to ensure they had as few critical assets as possible to protect. But uh, well, that's start with what you want to protect and then design your risk, your risk approach yeah. to only fit those, fit those assets. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, TSA, as many people are aware, TSA came out with security directives for the pipeline sector after a colonial pipeline. Oh, so we are going to talk about um, other sectors. Are we? I don't know. I'm, well, I am. I don't know if you guys are or not, but I'll just, just bring it up. You're on the topic of RBAMs and the, uh, you know, of course, the the second directive is uh, SSI. It's not publicly available, but there's a redacted version, which is has almost everything out there. Um, but they did, you know, TSA didn't do a really good job in defining scope on that. And I know they'll probably come back and revisit it this year with formal rulemaking. But uh, I, th I think they're going to have the same issues that the electric sector had and try to figure out what's in, what's out. What does the regulator want covered? What do they not want covered? And uh, you know, hopefully they have a better experience than the electric sector did taking, you know, several years to figure it out. And, and even to, even today, where I think there's still situations where we have discussions and arguments about scoping and what's in, what's out, and what's what's classified in which category, and how you how you treat that. So it's 15 years in, or 12 years, whatever it is, we're still having those conversations. Yeah, there there's no doubt. There's still you know opportunities to do better, um, even with what you were supposed to do 10 years ago. Uh, in the SIP world, but uh, for other sectors. Uh, the energy sector you know there's they're, they're gonna they're gonna find themselves uh probably in a, in a place no, soon having to do the same thing and, and it, I, I think they'll get to it faster i think that's my point is that i think in today's age that 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 knowledge at the top of the organizations and at the c levels are is much more about you know security matters uh you know good reliability controls matter and uh I think that awareness exists. So I think it's going to be an easier path uh, to get where they need to go if they're not already under the any regulatory strata. When you say yeah, but, um, get where they need to go, Stacy, so you're talking about uh, basically where we're at now, which is absent any direction from TSA, kind of a risk-based approach, kind of moving past that to bright line criteria, just like the electric sector did, or are you suggesting well, that they'll actually get the scope right yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, from I'm I'm kind of talking from zero regulation to something uh, where you know often there's good security happening in parts of organizations, but not holistically, and maybe not in the OT space as much. Um, so if we're talking oil and gas, um, I definitely think that uh, they're going to have a shorter period of time to catch up 
uh, to where they should be from a good security posture. How that looks, I, I'm not I'm not clear on that. Steve might have more in, insight on that one, but um, I think that's true with any industry. Uh, I think uh, um, if you're talking banks and you're talking uh, credit unions, haven't been tackled with any real strong cybersecurity regulations. I don't know if that's true or not, but if they weren't. Um, you know, they they may catch up faster if it came to them, if a, if a body of regulations came to them. I think in today's age versus 10, 15 years ago, um, they're going to be faster to, to be able to implement um, because I think the, the executives, the, sen- the senior people understand it better. Yeah, you know, you've got the those are the twelve stages of grief, and uh, certainly the denial stage will go by a little bit quicker uh, for other industries because they've had some exposure to it. And, uh, so I think I think you're right. I think they'll I think they'll get there a little bit quicker. And looking at the TSA, you know, t- the TSA pipeline uh, directors when that came out, and we were able to get a look at that. You know, my initial impression was this is beyond what SIP requires, and they want it done in you know a fraction of the time it took industry to get the SIP standards where they are today. So part of that is going to be that, you know, they're, I guess, theoretically behind because the electric sector, um, I guess you could say it's led the way, having the mandatory requirements. Uh, Others have been watching from the sidelines uh, or maybe looking away in horror. But the fact that it's not new, I think will move them along quicker and and they can glean experiences from the other sectors um, that have had to deal with this. Um, So, yeah, I I agree with you, Stacey. It'll, It'll come about quicker. Of course, I'm not saying that everybody's perfect yet in the electric sector. Uh, yeah, we got a long ways to go. Uh, um, I think the, the, the ongoing joke that we have, we can go to probably any generation plant and within five minutes find a modem that uh, people have told us doesn't exist. Uh, that's just a fact, I think. Uh, um, of course, there's going to be the exception, uh, but it, it, it it's still that feeling that there's stuff out there that we haven't seen yet stuff that we can yeah. find that we need to protect. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, I, I think we've come a long ways, like I said earlier, and, and, and uh, I think we, it's going to be an interesting next uh, 10 years. Yeah, usually the modem is between the sticky note with the password and the air gap. <laughs> <laughs> that air gap. Crazy. Uh, my favorite story, and I know you guys have heard this many times, but is uh, one time I was doing a, a walk down of a of a plant, and and uh, been talking to their sea levels. They kind of want us to do a quick assessment at this particular location, and um, we were talking to them, and they were saying how strong their cybersecurity policies, and they were taking this stuff seriously. They weren't um, SIP didn't matter to them at the time, but they were going to take SIP and adopt it, and and really cared and been working on this and. We asked the simple question is, you know, do you have any modems? And absolutely not. We don't have any external connectivity at all in our in our control center. So the first thing we do is we walk down there and there's no doors on the on the control center to start with. And I'm going, no, oh, there's no physical security here either. Um, but, you know, within three minutes, we just open up a you know little um, panel and there's some blinking lights. And we go, well, what's this? And you know, the sea level guy was like shaking his head. Nah, I don't know. And across the room, one of the operators is sitting at his desk and he yelled at him, that's the modem that uh, GE connects to. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. I mean, immediately, you know, beat red face and everything. And, you know, but I, I think that's true in a lot of places. There's a lot of unknown still in especially large uh, plants that haven't been touched. Uh, um, you're going to find those things. 
there's always there's always exceptions to the rule when you make a categorical statement there's always always an exceptions um very rare for there not to be an exception and and that goes both ways you know it's uh, organizations that uh, are worried um often brings us in they're really concerned and they're actually sometimes really good from a security perspective but may not be so good from a compliance role you know that uh that compliance tax, that compliance overview sometimes makes you look worse than you are. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell a story. You told the story. I'll tell a story uh, on the air gap topic, similar, similar experience. I was sitting in a meeting once with a uh, uh, relatively small, so it was not, it was this different sector. It wasn't the electric sector. It was a different sector. And uh, we're sitting around with some regulators and talking to uh, a plant manager of a facility. And he stated that they had an air gap, that they were air gap. There's no outside connections, very, very similar. And, so a uh, subsequent question was, you know, what do you do if there's a problem at the plant after hours? And the general manager said, well, my chief engineer has a laptop um, and it's only that laptop, but he, he can get in from home and, and look around and see if there's something wrong through the air gap. Apparently, I'm not I'm not sure they understood the meaning of the term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those uh it's the data diodes. I got one going for this direction and another da- data diode going for this direction. Uh, heard those stories too. Like, wait, weren't you supposed to be restricting so everything only went one way? Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, I, you know, on a serious note, though, there's, you know, what I've seen happen quite quite often is that you'll ask a question and they'll and they'll they'll make a categorical statement when the statement is really true for a majority of the assets, but not all of them. So, do you run into? Oh, yeah, we run antivirus on all of our stuff. And what they mean is they run it on all the Windows and Linux and Unix servers. And maybe if they've got a Mac laying around, um, but, but they don't, it's, it's almost as if they don't understand the scope of the question. They think the scope of the question applies only to where it makes sense, right? Like, well, of course, we're not going to put antivirus on our PLCs. Yeah, that was the question, right? Do you, do you run antivirus on everything? Um, and so I see that a lot. They, they, they make that categorical statement on a limited scope and, and they either don't understand what you're asking or they think they're answering it correctly when they're really not. Yeah, almost, um, you know, kind of going back to the early days of SIP and arguing with engineers on why we needed some of these cyber controls and they're not following, you know, it's like, well, they make the argument, well, if you're already in the control house, you can do a lot more damage, you know, just flipping the breaker on and off. Um, You know, and funny enough, that was the whole uh, Aurora attack uh, back in the pre-Stuxnet days, you know, not a not a cyber attack, it was a physical attack executed via cyber means, remote access, just to demonstrate it was possible. But, uh, you know, engineers at the time, you know, why would anybody just sit there and toggle the breaker on and off? Yeah, eventually it's going to close out a phase and it's going to blow up. I remember one time walking through a generation plant and uh, um, I think I was kidding like the day before about, you know, I think there was some kind of a PlayStation uh hack that was in play, call dial home kind of thing or something. Maybe it was months before, but I went and visited a particular plant and walking around. And sure enough, there was at, uh, you know, a uh, operator's desk, a an, an Xbox and one of the original ones just sitting there. And I was going, oh, that's interesting. Um, I wonder what, you know, they what they have that plugged in, thinking that it has to be just plugged into a TV or something. But sure enough, it was plugged right into the court, their, their, their operations network there um, on the corporate side. But it, it's very interesting, uh, you know, the things that you find that um, 
you know, people used to do, I, I don't think you're going to find a lot of that, you know, everywhere anymore. I think there's a lot more awareness about, uh, you know, the challenges of, of using, you know, plugging in your phone to your, your, your desktop, um, or having, uh, two NICs, uh, you know, into your workstation, uh, acting as a bastion station, uh, between a corporate network and an operations network. Um, so it, it's, it, you know, it, it's just an, this ongoing thing. And, uh, but I think that the needle has moved quite a bit from where it used to be. And, um, you know, it, it feels good after 10 years to see some of that. Um, if you, you know, you sit back and you just go, wow, um, a lot has changed and, and changed to the positive. Of course, on the flip side, you're looking to the future and you're looking at what you're seeing now and you go, wow, we got a long way still to go. And we do uh, a long ways to go. Um, but so much better. I'll never forget going into a control center and one of the <clears throat> displays on the wall had the DVD menu of Moulin Rouge burned into it. <laughs> they weren't they weren't watching the movie, but at some point they had just left it on the DVD <laughs> menu and, you know, burned it into the screen. That was great. I wonder how many operators yeah. hate us security guys. They used to have it good. You know, and uh, speaking of walkthroughs, you know, one of the things I, I, I joke about, it's really only half joking, but, uh, you know, you go to a control center, I always ask them where the barbecue is because there was actually a, an issue early on in the SIP days. Uh, going to your point, Stacy, on cultural changes, you know, in an op operation center, you put some burgers on the grill and you just pop the door open so you can go in and out and not, you know, badge in or whatever. Um, you know, if you're carrying a tray of burgers, you, you know, it's hard to swipe your badge. Uh, and that was actually an issue early on until the culture got changed and and people started to understand that, no, you can't just prop the door open because you got burgers on the grill or steaks or whatever it is. Um, not even in Texas where barbecue is a religion. Well, this is a great conversation, guys. I, I think this is fun. And, uh, you know, for anyone listening to this, this is something that we're going to be doing on a regular basis. Uh, um, just chit-chatting about stuff. Hopefully it has some value to you. Uh, uh, we'll reminisce a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about things on top of mind. Uh, we'll bring in some guests. Uh, we'll bring in people, but uh, uh, we want to do a bit of a direct connect uh, to our uh, um, listeners and, and give you a little perspective of what we're thinking. And uh, you know, as always, we, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen to us uh, blabber about whatever we're blabbering about. And uh, you know, we'll take your comments. Uh, you know, always send us. Uh, any ideas you'd like us to talk about? Uh, we've been around the block for a while. Uh, we don't know everything, but uh, we know quite a bit. And, uh, we know a lot of friends that we hopefully can bring in on this uh, platform and, uh, and share some knowledge with you. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website, at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, at archer underscore intl on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.